Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out! You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to have all of you here with us. It is our Super Bowl preview show. We're going to preview the entire game coming up in our second segment, but we are going to lead off with this. Matt Nagy speaking out for the first time since being fired by the Bears. Almost a year later, he was cornered during Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Of course, he's coached with the Chiefs now. We're going to dissect everything he said and give you my unfiltered reaction to what he said as well. Later in the show, we also have some other news to talk about. NFL MVP awards going to be voted on and decided this week who's going to win. We'll break down the races, also for Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, Rookie, all those good stuff we will discuss and talk about that. Plus, LeBron James is now the NBA scoring king, but is he better than MJ now still or no? Or Where, where, where do we stand on that? We're going to talk about that. You may not like my answer, but, you know... Part of the business, isn't it? Appreciate all of you being here. John Meadows is directing and producing, doing all the work behind the scenes here tonight. We are presented by our good sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of the Chicago land area. Check them out today. Fresh imports weekly from the Amish of Northern Indiana. With this egg shortage going on, they are the place to go. Dozen eggs, six ninety nine, and they're fresh, and you know exactly what's in them. Go to Amish Country Farms today and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglul, YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. We're live all three of those places at Sports Talk Chicago as well. By the way, too, if you're listening on the podcast, we have a brand new intro. I'm sure you've heard it before. Big shout out to Bob Schmidt at Voice of Bob. Uh, he did an awesome job. He does the voice work for Fox Sports Radio, the Dan Patrick Show, and now Sports Talk Chicago. So uh, feel free to drop your comments and your takes on that as well as you hear it uh, going through the podcast here on the audio side um, as things move forward. Well, I want to start today with this. Matt Nagy is back. (laughs) Back in the spotlight, back in the news. He's making the rounds in order to help out his head coaching status in the future. I'll explain why that in a second. But Matt Nagy has decided that now, Super Bowl week with the Chiefs going to be in the big game, he's decided that it's time to reflect and really think about what's going on with the Bears, what happened in regards to his tenure, what he could look forward to and improve upon in the future. Naturally, when you're prepping for a Super Bowl, you're going to be thinking about the Bears and what happened here and why you got fired, right? Only makes sense to finally comment about being fired and what happened and the tumultuous stuff that he put the Bears through during Super Bowl week. That's the time to reflect on what happened here in Chicago, apparently, according to Matt Nagy, not me. He's been quiet, and I I have to give the Bears credit. There was no exit press conference. There was no exit press conference with Ryan Poles, with Matt Eberflus, with ownership about what happened to Matt Nagy. He just kind of vanished, kind of went away. And according to some reporting from Adam Hogue, He said that Nagy went on a 20-day retreat to South Africa, came back, and was immediately offered and did accept the Chiefs job that he has right now on the offensive staff, right back to where he was with Andy Reid. As it took him 20 days to understand what his next move would be, you know, some other people never get another chance in the NFL, but... I guess Matt Nagy, after killing Justin Fields almost and ruining the career of Mitch Trubisky, deserves one more chance in football. So Matt Nagy spoke out, actually got cornered, which I can't believe, and told something. He had a few regrets, according to this article from Hogue. He wishes he would have beaten the Packers more often, which Nagy said, quote, I didn't do. Nagy considers clear communication one of his strengths, but admits there were situations where it could have been better. Quote, I thought I was good at it, and I wasn't. 
And Matt Nagy said this, and this one of me takes the cake, quote, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't hurt selfishly for the city, for the players, for the coaching staff, support staff, etc. in Chicago. But you can't dwell on that. You have to pick yourself up. You have to be better from it. He also said, quote, I failed in a lot of areas. Hell yeah. Thanks for stating that, Captain Obvious. But I want to fixate on that last quote I just read you. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't hurt selfishly for the city, for the players, for the coaches, support staff, etc. in Chicago. Are you really hurt, though? Do you really feel hurt in your heart for what's going on here in Chicago and what happened with the Bears? Because if you did, I'm just spitballing here, you probably wouldn't have ruined the career of Mitch Trubisky and put out Justin Fields in a game in which he got sacked nine times and nearly died, pretty much. If you really cared about player safety, if you really cared about all these different pieces that make up the Bears team, you would think quarterback would be first on that list or right near the top. Turns out it wasn't for Nagy. It was okay with Rooney Mitch Trubisky's career, with putting in a mishmash of quarterbacks at one point, Nick Bowles getting starts, Andy Dalton getting starts, and then throwing Justin Fields to the Wolves on a team that had absolutely nothing. Trying to win over or save his job, or I don't even know what the point of it was, but that's what he did. Those are the actions that he committed. Good communication guy. Yeah, that really makes sense. How about lying to media all the time about whether or not he was calling plays in any other media market, especially New York, really, Detroit, there are other markets. The press would really get on somebody, would get on the coach if they lied about that. Matt Nagy lied, flip-flop midseason, and nobody said a word. Because nobody wants to ask the tough questions. There are very few, I should say. A couple of them are friends of this program, actually. Very few who want to ask the tough questions about Matt Nagy and about his tenure. And I have to say, it's the most uncovered tenure that I've seen in Bears history. They were all over Mark Trespin. They were all over Lovey Smith, all over John Fox. But for some reason, Matt Nagy gets to ride off into the sunset, go to the Super Bowl now. And this is the first we're hearing from him in about nine, ten months. Actually, a year, pretty much. Now, last year, at this time, he was fired. So a year later, while he gets to be in the Super Bowl, finally somebody corners him for 15 minutes and he gets to talk. In this setting, uh, but Super Bowl. So you're not going to get the full story, nor are you going to get any authentic emotion or reaction. The whole thing's going to be about the big game and what's going to happen. What do you think's going to happen? Are you going to get a ring? Everybody's worried about that and the fun stuff instead of, hey, why'd you screw up over here? Why'd you ruin a couple of quarterbacks' careers, almost, at least in fields? Why did you run the Bears into the ground? He's part of the problem, not the solution. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When Ryan Poles inherited this team, the Bears were one of the most least, the Bears were the least desirable organization in football. Cap trouble. No head coach. Justin Fields undeveloped because of said head coach. So many issues that face this team, and now look where they are today. Matt Nagy was part of the reason the Bears were so undesirable. And to this day, we see media kind of kissing his ass. Saw a couple of people today say, well, he was still a nice guy. Yeah, nice guy, my something. Because I'll tell you what, if he was such a nice guy, why did he ruin careers? Why did he throw Justin Fields into danger? Why did he bash Mitch Trubinsky so much to the point where fans turned on him, where the guy can't even post on social media, he was run out of town. And now he's a walking meme in the NFL. There is no other quarterback who gets as much hate in regards to draft positioning than what the coach did to him, the Mitch Trubisky. Maybe Tua Tungabandola now. But at least he played well this year and got some sort of recognition. Everybody goes after him every single day, mostly due to what Matt Nagy did to him. And now we sit here and we look back on it with fond memories. Come on, guys, fond memories. The good things that he did. One year was good, the first year. Every other year was forgettable and a joke and frustrating and tumultuous for Bears fans and media. Nothing got better 
It was a continuous dumpster fire. There were calls for Matt Nagy to be fired back in 2019, and nobody listened. Year after year of mediocrity has gotten to the point now where we say, oh, look, it's Matt Nagy, our old friend. He ain't a friend to me. He shouldn't be a friend to you. There have been some reports before the season that Matt Nagy might be the heir apparent to Andy Reid. I say if that's the case, then watch out Patrick Mahomes. I'd actually be scared of your life if I were Patrick Mahomes. And if Matt Nagy ruined two quarterbacks, including one who is very talented like Justin Fields, then Patrick Mahomes be on your toes. I'm just happy we got quotes from him. I'm a guy who's all about closure. I want to know what happens, follow what happens, and see something to the end. That's what you got to do. See something to the end. You don't just sit there midway and let it go. You're a man, you see something to the end. You make sure the job gets done. And in my case... I will continue to follow this story for the next 10, 15 years. Because as I told John just before we went on the air, Josh McDaniel, right, out in Vegas, he went off into the sunset after getting fired by Denver for making a plethora of questionable decisions, went back to New England, almost took that Colts job, but still stayed with New England. Now we got the new job in Las Vegas, and they would have fired him if they could have afforded it. I have a sick feeling that's going to be very similar to what Matt Nagy did and what Matt, what Matt Nagy will be. Offensive guru, offensive genius, quarterback whisperer. Gets run out of town in Chicago. Takes a couple of years. Very quiet. Mid-level roles. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. Hey, look what I did with him, right? Because anybody could take credit for that. And then he'll turn around in four or five years and be on the head coaching market again. And I'll go back to a different team, run another quarterback, and we'll say, we told you so. That's why I'm never going to stop following this story. And I will never forget what I was told and what I was DM'd last offseason. I will still never forget it. This was from a source who happened to be close to Mitch Trubisky. dm this on Twitter. And he told me, you have no idea who Matt Nagy is. I didn't get specifics. But I got that quote. You have no idea who Matt Nagy is. I don't even want to know. I mean, I do want to know, but I don't even want to know what happened behind the scenes in Chicago. And what he did to Mitch Trubisky to have him turn out like he is today. And I'm not saying it's all on Nagy. Obviously, Mitch didn't fully pan out at a couple of good years. But the point being, something happened between them that we still don't know and probably will never know about. That right there disqualifies him for me. You brought in a kid. Moved up to get him. Maybe he didn't do it, but the Bears did. Ryan Pace did. That was Ryan Pace's guy. Ryan Pace was still here. So Ryan Pace didn't really advocate for his quarterback. Then Matt Nagy comes in and immediately finds ways to sabotage and screw him. All the reports come out. Oh, Mitch Trubisky turned off the TVs in the locker room. He's so soft. No, he wasn't. He was being sabotaged. Of course, he turned off TVs in his own locker room. Coach was all over him. Some of the players were on him. And the media was on him. Nobody let the guy breathe. And then the logical answer is, oh, he's not tough enough for this market. This market is weak compared to New York. Everybody lets everything get away. Everything happens. So I just find it very despicable what Matt Nagy did to Mitch Trubisky here. And I personally can never forget it, not just because I'm a Mitch Trubisky supporter. If it was any quarterback, it was Justin Fields, which I talked about last year on this show. Look what he did to Justin Fields. Justin Fields was beat up. He was hard. He was, first of all, benched for Andy Dalton, right move, then comes in randomly during a Browns game, gets sacked nine times. That's not right. That's not even responsible thinking. And that happened. And Matt Nagy did nothing about it. See what I mean? This is malpractice. This guy doesn't even understand what player safety is all about, let alone understand how to develop a quarterback. And yet now here he is talking and everybody's fawning over Matt Nagy. Here's the microphone. Tell me what you think. As he's going to go to the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you what, now that Matt Nagy is on the Chiefs, and I forgot just for a split second, see how good they do that? You forget for a second, but I do remember now, I'm not rooting for them in the Super Bowl. I do not want to see him get a ring. So he messes up Chicago to the core to the point where they're almost indistinguishable 
They're a horrible team. And now gets to hop on, or hop on to Andy Reid's coattails and win a Super Bowl in his first year away from the Bears. No, I don't think that's how it's going to work, Matt. And I do challenge him, although he's probably not watching this program or listening. Want to come on for a real fair interview? Come on with me, because I'm not going to ask you the softball questions that everybody else asks you. Matt Nagy's a fraud. Everybody. And whatever PR campaign he tries to do, don't trust it. He's lied how many times before to you, to all of us in the media, right? Lied about play calling, lied about quarterbacks, lied about success and communication. So many key things that go in to a team's performance. All he's done is lied. Don't trust him, but not a smiling face. To say, oh, he's better now, or he's learned. Even in this article I just have right here, this person wrote, when Matt Nagy said, I failed in a lot of areas, the commentary said, um, it showed signs of growth that I didn't think Nagy had in him. Do you really think he grew? Really think that comment's genuine? He doesn't give a damn. He's gone. He's going to win a Super Bowl, potentially. He doesn't care what happened with the Bears, and all of it to him, it's a distant memory. He's waiting to stay low for a couple of more years to get another head coaching crack. That's what he's worried about. To suggest that he grew, that he's gotten better in a year after what happened here, makes no sense. And I just find it appalling that even to this day, he has the chance to coach in the NFL, and to coach a legendary QB. As if it were me, even if it were my kids, let's say my kids play peewee football, I wouldn't trust Matt Nagy to coach him. If my kids play peewee football, I would not trust him to coach him. And here's why, they'd get killed. I don't trust Matt Nagy, and neither should you. Take a look at some of these comments here. I'm sure a lot of you enjoyed that show open. I have been working for this rant. Yes, John. Hey, John. No cure for an aptness. Nagy was a stubborn and arrogant head coach. He stopped and started calling plans like he was changing underwear. Glad he is gone. Art, comment of the night so far. I love it. Aaron, yep, no cure for mediocrity with Nagy and Pace. Hopefully Mitch will tell us what happened when he retires. Me too. I'd love to hear some expose from Mitch Trubisky when he's 40 years old telling us what really happened here in Chicago. Please come to the show, Matt Nagy. <laughs> if I ever get the chance to talk to Mitch here in Pittsburgh, I'll bring him on your show, John, Real Talk. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to get the full story. You know, I tried so hard with that source. I got close, but no cigar. I think I pushed too much. Probably pushed too much, but that's okay. Wanted to get the real story. Care about Mitch Trubisky. Care about his well-being more than whatever the hell Matt Nagy's got going on. Nevertheless, Matt Nagy is coaching in this Super Bowl. So we might as well preview the game, right? I'm sure a lot of you are going to be watching this weekend. And I have to say, although I'm rooting against the Chiefs, I find it hard for them to win this game. In all seriousness, the Chiefs really kind of shouldn't be here. They were losing to Cincinnati, and they were about to lose that game. If it wasn't for that penalty late, the shove out of bounds, they probably would have come up just a tad short, unless Patrick Mahomes threw a Hail Mary, had some sort of miracle to win the game and push themselves in. The Bengals dominated that game, and the Bengals, I think, overall, completeness-wise, are somewhat of a better team. In my opinion, I really think they're better. So the Chiefs kind of just scratched and clawed and barely got their way in, which is fine. They're in the Super Bowl. They earned it. They made it. But I don't trust them to beat this Eagles team with 18 Pro Bowlers. That's right, 18. The Eagles, between alternates and starters, have 18 Pro Bowlers. 18 guys who made the Pro Bowl. 18 guys who are elite. You put 22 on the field at a time. Offense and defense. So only four of their starters on their team are not Pro Bowlers. Can you believe that? I mean, that's really stunning. Eagles are just that good. Okay, see had a good season. Pat Mahomes had a good year. 
course. Not much on the running side. Pacheco, McKinnon, Hilaire came back as well off IR. He's going to be active for the Super Bowl, apparently. So Hilaire will be back. On the Eagles' side, Miles Sanders just killed it, plus Jalen Hurts. The Eagles know to run the football. They could pass with Jalen Hurts. Had a career season despite even being hurt and missing time. And their defense is unbelievable. Their offensive line is best in the game. I mean, this Eagles team is just built to win. My opinion. So I'd be really surprised if the Chiefs come out. And by the way, Pat Mahomes, believe it or not, has not played well in the Super Bowl. So he's been in two of them. We know he won one, lost one. But the last time he played in the Super Bowl, we remember that game against Tom Brady. He was killed. I mean, he was really hurt and hit hard a lot in that game. It was difficult for him. You can pull up his stats right here at least in the Super Bowl. I mean, 26 of 49, zero touchdowns, two picks, a 52.3 passer rating. And in 2019, he 286 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. So for his career in the Super Bowl, Pat Mahomes has two touchdowns and four picks. And his passer rating is what, maybe 60? Pat Mahomes, believe it or not, cannot play well so far in the Super Bowl. Really, his only knock, I mean, there's only so much you could say about Pat Mahomes that's bad, but that's the one thing you could point to. Not that it's the end of the world, but when you're facing an elite defense like Philadelphia and you faced an elite defense against Tampa a couple of years back and you struggled, you faced the Niners, you struggled till the fourth quarter. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday? You think Pat Mahomes is going to walk in and just start throwing darts and four touchdowns, no picks, big game? I don't think so. I think he's going to struggle, and I think this Chiefs offense is going to struggle. Two touchdowns, four picks. You don't have much of a running game, and you're bringing back a running back who has been hurt, has missed time. Hilaire just got activated off the IR yesterday, and he's coming back. Pacheco's still there. McKinnon's there. There are just tons of moving pieces running-wise for them. I know their offense was first in the NFL, but their defense was 16th, too, the Chiefs. Eagles were third in offense, eighth in defense, top 10 both. Eagles are a well-rounded team, and in my opinion, they probably are statistically, and just as far as talent and on paper goes, the most talented and the best team in football. You can't argue with 18 out of your 22 players being selected to the Pro Bowl, either as alternates or starters. 18 out of 20. I've never even heard of that before. 18 out of 22 were selected. Talk about a complete team. I think the biggest question for the Eagles is just going to be Jalen Hurts. Will he perform on this big stage? Because this is really Jalen Hurts' breakout year. And remember, he was still hurt and he missed time. And Hurts last year, okay, 16 touchdowns, 9 picks, 87 passer rating. You know, that was the year where they went 9-7 and seven or 10-7. and seven. They barely got in. They got bounced week one of the playoffs by the Bucs. And entering this year, if you remember, Jalen Hurts, all the questions were, is he even going to be the franchise guy? This was a prove-it year for Jalen Hurts. Eagles wanted to know, hey, what do we got here, and are you going to be the guy? Because if not, we got to draft somebody. That was being talked about. And Hurts proved everybody wrong this year. And I think no matter what happens on Sunday, it's a successful season for Hurts and for his future in Philadelphia and even his future in the NFL. And 15 games, 3,700 yards, and 22 touchdowns, six picks, plus add-on 760 rushing yards. You know, he missed two games. He plays two more games. Would have gotten to 4,000 probably easily on the passing side and maybe 800, 900 rushing yards, almost 1,000. Add on a couple of more touchdowns, maybe one or two more picks. I mean, he had great ball control, best interception percentage ever, 1.3%. Did a good job at holding on to the football and led his team when he started to a 14-1 record. He only lost one game as a starter this year. Eagles went 14-3. They lost both games that Hurts didn't play. And everybody's saying, well, you know, 
the Eagles are so good, it doesn't matter who's their quarterback, then why'd they lose the two games he didn't play? Everybody's making that argument for the MVP, saying, oh, you know, I I don't think Hurts should win it. I'm not, I don't know whether or not he should, but I will say this. It's telling when your quarterback isn't there, you have a competent backup at Gardner Minshew, actually one of the best backups in football, and you don't win. Those are two games that you lose without Jalen Hurts. He's obviously valuable enough to the point where the Eagles need him to start. If Gardner Minshew was starting in this Super Bowl, Eagles would stand no chance, no matter what. You can tell me anything, they would not win. Jalen Hurts is their answer. But the big question is, will he show up and perform in this big of a game? Because I'll tell you what, if Patrick Mahomes has trouble showing up and playing in this big of a game, I don't know if I could trust Jalen Hurts either. The one thing Hurts has going for him is that this Chiefs defense is mid-level, almost mediocre. They're 16th in the NFL. So you're going up against a bend and sometimes break defense. And as far as Patrick Mahomes goes, he goes up against a great defense, and he's facing a great offense. Just logistically speaking, you would think Philadelphia has a slight advantage here. Now, again, I know, okay, Kansas City has the experience. Patrick Mahomes has played in a couple of Super Bowls. A lot of these guys are ready for the big um, stage. They are. But the Eagles have the talent that Kansas City doesn't have. So then the question is, how do you balance it? And who's going to come out on top? That's why they play the game. But I firmly believe at this point that it will be Philadelphia winning. I think it's going to be close. It's not going to be a blowout. going to be down to the wire. And if I had to make a score prediction, which I've been doing all year, so I guess I'll do it here. I'm going to say... 38-31. 38-31. Eagles win. So my final score is 38-31. Philadelphia comes out on top, and they win the Super Bowl in Nick Sirianni's second year and in Jalen Hurts' third year. And by the way, Bears fans watching this game, I encourage you to take a look closely at what Philadelphia has done. Their trajectory should be what the Bears do. You've heard this all season from me, from others on this program. My guests, same thing. Hey, Philadelphia started off low. Jalen Hurts comes in for Carson Wentz on popular move. Doug Peterson gets fired. Sound similar to anybody? They bring in a new coach. All of a sudden, they're 10-7, and 7, but they still get bounced, and Jalen Hurts isn't necessarily the answer. And this year, in a prove-it year, Second-year head coach, third-year QB, you're the damn Super Bowl. What about Justin Fields? First year, lame duck head coach, gets beat up, coach gets fired, new year, different coach comes in, new GM. Tanking, but improved performance to the point where we know Justin Fields, to an extent, is the guy. Now what happens next year? The Bears should be around 9-8, and 10-7. They should be in the wild card, then get bounced. Then the year after that, 2024, maybe 2025, why can't they contend for a Super Bowl is my thing. So Bears fans play, pay close attention to this game. I would. You could be looking into a mirror on Sunday. And I think that's very intriguing. I think there are so many similarities between the Bears' situation today and what the Eagles were two and one year ago. And that's the exciting part. We talk about this every week, and I'm going to keep hammering it in because it's so important. The Bears have a lot of hope right now. There's a lot going for them. And this Eagles team, as you see it, could be the Bears in a couple of years if they play their cards right. Record cap space, top pick, good quarterback. What the Eagles have, 18 out of 22 players are in the Pro Bowl. Bears, hey, wake up and do the same thing. The Bears should be doing that then. The Bears should be signing strategically key players to make that happen. A couple of wide receivers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, edge rushers, secondary help, maybe a running back. A lot of holes. But this Bears team could become this Eagles team in the matter of one or two off-seasons period, to the point where they could be in the Super Bowl in two or three years. Certainly possible, certainly on the table. That's the encouraging thing. That's the exciting part. So if you're going to watch the game with a Bears fan perspective in your head, 
that's what I would be looking for on Sunday. That's what I'd be trying to decipher. Hey, how is this team similar to the Bears? What could the Bears do? What what could they glean on from Philadelphia today to get better and get to this point in a couple of years? That should be what you're looking for if you're a Bears fan. The game is the game, of course. Watch the game, but look for those things, too. So I really think it's going to be Philadelphia on top, although I will say, you know, Kansas City wins good for them, despite the Matt Nagy situation. But I think it's going to be Philadelphia. And I'm predicting, again, 38-31 Philadelphia wins. Probably a higher score. Maybe it won't even be that high, but made that prediction already. I'll stick with it. 38-31 the final. And it will be Philadelphia raising that trophy and being very excited about what they have to come. Take a look at some of your comments here. Uh, Let's see. Agree, bear down, the blueprints are there, says Alex. There you go. 100% right. You, You understand what I'm trying to say. The blueprints are there. Cap space is there. The high draft pick is there. The quarterback's there. New coach, new GM. Everything is there for the tanking. It's a matter of how the Bears are going to play their cards and how will they make this work. Philadelphia did it right, to their credit. They turned things around in a couple of years. They fired Doug Peterson, brought in a brand-new QB off the you know draft board. Had him learn, had a new coach, and over time, things worked out. Built around him, got a couple of wide receivers for Jalen Hurts this offseason, bolstered their offensive line, and look where they stand today. They're one went away from being crowned NFL champions. Bears could be in that same boat. They do it right. If Howie Roseman can do it in Philadelphia, why can't Ryan Poles do it here? That's all I'm saying. KC can establish a run game early, then use the play action effectively. I think they will win 24-21 Boo Nagy. So B. Wicked says KC wins by a field goal. I could see it. And I think that's going to be the biggest key. Who will dominate in the trenches? Who will dominate in the run game? Statistically and on paper, it's going to be Philadelphia. But if KC has their run game working, if Edward Delaire shows up, Pacheco, they use him, they use McKinnon, maybe Mahomes runs for a couple. And they could penetrate that tough Philly defense. This guy's the limit for the for the uh, Chiefs. That's a fact. This guy's the limit for the Chiefs if they establish the run game early and find a way to penetrate that Eagles defense. But if the Eagles stand firm and just do what they've done all year, it's going to be Eagles all the way. They're going to have a good run game. Miles Sanders killing it. And by the way, his final audition before free agency could be a bear next year for all we know. So they have the run game. They have Jalen Hurts healthy and ready to go. They have 18 pro bowlers on that field, offense and defense. And their defense is one of the best in football. If the Eagles just do what they're supposed to do, if they just continue what they've done all year, this is their game to win easily. Combining that with Patrick Mahomes's horrendous performances, too, in two Super Bowls. And you've got yourself a Philadelphia winner. That's all I'm saying. I could totally see it going that way. Giving me goosebumps, John. Ha ha, bear down for 2025. I'm just saying, just saying today, could be by 2025. I would prefer 2024, but if not, one more year, you get to 2025, and this team could be 13-4, and 14-3, and three, and near that Super Bowl crown. And that'd be huge. Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham, a lot of knowledge to build this team. And by the way, Cunningham was offered the Cardinals GM job, turned it down. Titans GM job, turned it down. He said no, wants to stay here. So he knows something's going on behind the scenes here. Something good, or else he wouldn't be here. He turned down two primo GM jobs. Maybe not so much in Arizona because of the whole Kyler Murray situation, but Tennessee, for sure, you have stuff you could build around there. Little bit. Turned them down. I'm just saying, Ian Cunningham and Brian Poles at the helm, it should lead to a lot of good things for the Bears moving forward. And even as we get into next year, I think it'll go okay. Coming up the day before the Super Bowl, though, we have NFL honors and NFL rewards. So all the nominees have been put out there. They've been 
selected already. The question is, who's going to win? We're going to break down each category. I'm going to give you a prediction of who I think should win, and then I'll, you know, talk about who may win. Because usually, although, well, usually when I pick somebody, they never win. Let's put it that way. Always happens every year. So we'll go to MVP first. Four quarterbacks, one wide receiver. Wide receiver up there. What's going on? Josh Allen. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, and Patrick Mahomes. Pretty intriguing list. I would cross off Allen immediately, only because of his playoff performance. Now, playoffs aren't going to be considered in this voting, but I'll tell you what, Josh Allen has never been to an AFC championship game. That should shock some people. Josh Allen, oh, he's the best quarterback, MVP candidate, all these things about Josh Allen, yet he's never been to an AFC championship game. Now, you could say, well, Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow, how are you going to get past him? Well, that's Josh Allen's job. If he's so elite, if he's so good, why has he never played in an AFC championship game? And in a couple of years, if this trend continues, the Bills could be on the search for a new quarterback. Just saying. Josh Allen's off that list. Jalen Hurts on the list as well. Now, Hurts is certainly valuable, but he missed a couple of games and just does not have the numbers that somebody like Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow has. And that might be a shock to some, but I'm not ashamed to say that. Hearts, 22 touchdowns, six picks, has some rushing yards in there. That's awesome. But does not have the Mahomes-type numbers that I think should warrant an MVP. Look at these numbers from Pat Mahomes. 5,200 passing yards, 52-50, 41 touchdowns, 12 picks. His team is in the Super Bowl again, led the league in yards, in touchdowns, and yards per game and finished top five in quarterback rating, passer rating, first in QBR, which is the ESPN-measured statistic. Pat Mahomes, in my opinion, is going to win the MVP. Joe Burrow is close, and Justin Jefferson had an unbelievable year, 1,800 receiving yards. He actually had the fifth most receiving yards in one season this year. Nobody even talked about it. Nobody followed the story whatsoever. Broke Minnesota's single-season franchise record, held by Chris Carter, and almost broke Calvin Johnson's record of 1,964 in a season. He had a great year, and Justin Jefferson, if he continues at this pace, could go down as one of the greats already. I mean, he's putting up 1,500, 1,600 yards first three years in the NFL, all three years in a row. That's unheard of, unprecedented. But they're not going to give the award to a wide receiver, and the Vikings went nowhere and really didn't do much and won a lot of close games. I mean, their point differential was similar to teams that went 8-8, eight and eight, or sorry, 8-9. and nine. Not going to win it. So it's then going to come down to Burrow or Mahomes. And I have to say, Burrow, although he did good, just doesn't match up statistically to Mahomes. And that's going to be his downfall. You know, Burrow, 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns, 12 picks. How do you compare that to seven more touchdowns and almost 1,000 more yards from Mahomes? And the same amount of games, too. Burrow played every game. Burrow had a great year, and he deserves a lot of praise, but I think he'll be the runner-up in that race. Pat Mahomes is my MVP, and I think that's going to be the real pick as well. Defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa, Chris Jones of the Chiefs, and Micah Parsons. And I think right now, as far as I know, Parsons is going to be the favorite. 13 and a half sacks. Made the AP first-team All-Pro. Three fumble recoveries as well. Can't argue with those numbers for Micah Parsons, and he was a big reason, believe it or not, why Dallas went as far as they did. It wasn't all just Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was just a small piece of that team. He was not the answer. Micah Parsons may win it, although I will say, hey, Nick Bosa, 18 and a half sacks, that's his calling card. Maybe Bosa wins it. I think either choice would be smart. But I will say, Micah Parsons, when we come to when we when we talk about valuableness, when we talk about being so valuable to your team, the Niners were stacked already. They had three different A plus quarterbacks, really, at the end of the day. They had a good run game, they had good wide receivers. If we want to talk about a player being so valuable to his team, I would go with Parsons. Because Dak was not impressive this year. Zeke was not impressive. All the guys that are supposed to be so good on Dallas really didn't show up, but Parsons always did. Meant a lot to that team. It was a big reason. Why they got to where they were. Offensive player of the year, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, Pat Mahomes. I think it's going to be Pat Mahomes again here. I think he might sweep the awards. That's happened many times before. 
Jalen Hurts does not even stack up to Pat Mahomes. Sorry. It's just, it's not even close as far as statistically. Tybree Kill was behind Justin Jefferson, and Justin Jefferson had nearly a record-breaking year, so no go on him. It's either going to be Jefferson or Mahomes, and maybe they give Jefferson this as a consolation prize for not winning MVP. I could see it. But as far as who's most deserving, who had the most offensive impact on his team, I would have to say it's Pat Mahomes. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson of the Giants, Kenneth Walker, and my guy, Brock Purdy. You know, Brock Purdy didn't play in enough games, and that's what might hurt him, but I would not be opposed to him winning the award. I'm just saying, Brock Purdy came in, third-string guy, Mr. Irrelevant, last draft pick of the entire draft, and yet he leads his team to the NFC Championship game in his rookie year on a run. I've never seen that happen before. Kenneth Walker certainly meant a lot to Seattle. Didn't even play in every game. Averaged almost five yards per carry, 1,050 yards. Those numbers, though, to me, aren't necessarily impressive. But he did play a big role in why Seattle got to where they were. And then Garrett Wilson of the Jets. Wilson had a decent season as well. My whole thing is the Jets weren't even relevant this year. They fell out of contention very quickly. Wilson had 83 catches for 1,100 yards. I could see Wilson winning it, and I'd be okay with that move too. But Wilson or Purdy for me. I think Wilson will win it, but I'd like Brock Purdy. I think it'd be cool to see Brock Purdy win it. AP Defensive Rookie of the Year, it is Sauce Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, and Tariq Woolen. Well, my goodness, Sauce Gardner was one of the best corners in football this year. He's a rookie. But Hutchinson played great for the Lions, too. I think either way, you're good making one of those choices. My guess is it's going to be Sauce Gardner because of the New York market and because how much coverage he got coming into the NFL and then what he did this year. Literally one of the best corners in football. He ranked number one on PFF for coverage for cornerbacks. He was the real deal. He's continued to be the real deal. Comeback player of the year, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Geno Smith. This is Geno Smith unanimously. And I would even argue he should have been on the MVP race too. And Geno Smith broke Russell Wilson's record for most passing yards in a single season in Seattle Seahawks history. Geno Smith did it. And if it wasn't for Geno Smith, Seattle would not have been in the playoffs. Not even close. They would have been like 5-11, and 5-12. They went 9-8 and eight with Geno, made the playoffs. I don't care if they got bounced week one. They made it in. Geno had 4,300 passing yards, had a top-five passer rating in football, and look at how much he meant to his team. If we're talking about value to your team again, value, that's the name of the award, most valuable player, I would argue Geno Smith deserves to win it. I don't think I'm crazy in saying that. Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes. Now, if the Chiefs didn't have him, maybe they'd suffer and struggle, but I still think they'd win the division. They'd make it to the playoffs. Seattle, without Geno Smith this year and his performance and what he did, maybe 5-12. and 12. Maybe even worse. Geno Smith should win that to me. And then Coach of the Year, Brian Dable, Sean McDermott, Doug Peterson, Kyle Shanahan, and Nick Sirianni. I think it's either going to be Dable or Peterson, and both of those two certainly deserve to be there and certainly deserve to win it more than anybody else. Everybody else had a stacked roster. They don't even qualify. Dable comes in first year in New York, reinvents Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley comes back. You get a new head coach, new GM, and immediately they're in the playoffs. A Giants team that hadn't put up a winning record in a decade, it seemed like. A Giants team that was about to give up on Daniel Jones who said he was a bust, and maybe he is. I'm not fully sold on him yet, but he had a great year, and it worked. What they did worked. They beat the Bears doing it. I think it's stable all the way with a runner-up nod to Doug Peterson. I'll admit, I didn't want the Bears to hire him. I was definitely concerned about Peterson because of the way things ended in Philadelphia, but he turned out to be great in Jacksonville. Started out very, very slow, but turned it on near the end. Trevor Lawrence was a pro bowler this year, 4,000 passing yards, a lot of touchdowns. Top 10 passer rating in football. So he reinvented Trevor Lawrence, made this team go from worst to first in one season. And there's so much more that they could do come next year. It is an exciting time to be a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. So a slight runner-up nod to Doug Peterson 
but I don't think he's going to win it, nor do I think he should. I think this award is going to be reserved for Brian Dable. So one more time to go through at least my picks for the awards. MVP, Pat Mahomes, Defensive Player of the Year, Micah Parsons. Offensive Player of the Year, Pat Mahomes again, going to sweep that category. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Brock Purdy. Defensive Rookie of the Year, going to be Sauce Gardner. Comeback Player of the Year, Geno Smith, hands down. And Coach of the Year, Brian Dable, again, hands down. Those are my picks for all these all these awards. And we will find out before Super Bowl Sunday as to who wins them all next week. We will make sure to react to those as well and break them all down. See who wins. A lot of you commenting here, going back and forth about Mitch Trubisky. Well, we talked about that earlier. That's okay, though. Alex, uh, Josh Allen's playoff path has been difficult thus far in the AFC. I think as far as head-to-head QB matchups, I still like Jay Allen at quarterback. And I do, too. I mean, I think he's a top five or top ten quarterback in football. All I'm saying, though, is he has not made it to an AFC championship game. That should be cause for concern for Buffalo. It's not, we're not on the stage of, is Josh Allen developing? We're not in 2018, 2019, Josh Allen. We're in 2022 now, going to be 2023 for the season. Josh Allen has to win something and prove his worth in Buffalo. That's my thing. Former New York Jet, Geno Smith. That's right. And I remember Geno Smith. I recall Geno Smith. I used to be a fan of his. I played Geno Smith on Madden all the time in Madden 2012. And all of a sudden, he kind of went into obscurity, backed up at places, kind of bounced around the NFL, then got this tryout last year when Russell Wilson got hurt, did great, stuck around, and now look at him. Geno Smith, I mean, he should be an MVP candidate, if not maybe almost winning the award. Because, again, we're talking about valuable. See, I when I hear the word MVP, I think of not just stats, but also valuableness, valuability. Whatever the word is, that's what I think of when it comes to MVP. I think, how valuable was he to their team? Did he, was it because of him they went to the playoffs or they did a better job this year? They had a better record, whatever it is. And I could say with certainty, Geno Smith was the sole reason why Seattle went 9-8 and why they made the playoffs. If Geno Smith was not quarterbacking and if he didn't put up the performance that he did, Seattle would be 5-11. and At best, what do they have? They have a nice, decent rookie running back. That's about it. A couple of wide receivers. Everything else is gone. That team has been stripped to the studs. And yet, they found a way to sneak into the postseason because... Of Geno Smith, not in spite of, but because. He should be an MVP candidate. And then, as far as Mitch Trubisky goes, <laughs> uh, Matt Nagy's fault, going back and forth here. Trubisky's a trash QB. Everybody going back and forth. You knew that can of worms was going to be open, right? I know John's off the camera here laughing. You knew that can of worms was going to be open when I mentioned Matt Nagy, then Mitch Trubisky, and I knew it was going to happen. But see, here's my point. See how much contention there is about Mitch Trubisky? That goes to show you something's wrong, okay? Why is there so much contention? Why is there so much back and forth, even to this day amongst Bears fans? You know why? Because Matt Nagy made it that way. And that's the key to remember about Matt Nagy. That's the key. The reason why there's so much contention, so much back and forth by Mitch Trubisky to this day could barely post on social media is because of Matt Nagy and the Bears organization and what they did to him. They turned the fans on him and made everybody fight amongst one another, and they kicked him to the curb. That's Mitch Trubisky's story in a nutshell here in Chicago. So, I'm not surprised by the contention, and I'm not surprised by how things are going, because that was meant to happen. Exchange Sports Talk Chicago, John Zaglou hosting, John Meadows directing and producing, presented by our sponsor, our good sponsor, Amish Country Farms. For the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland, hit them up today in Orland Park. Fresh Imports Weekly and a sale on eggs with the egg shortage going on here in America and across the world. You can get fresh Amish eggs for $6.99 a dozen, and they're fresh and they're real, and you know what's in them. Head over to Amish Country Farms today, tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. Last topic for the day, LeBron James. LeBron James. Everybody's favorite player. He is now the NBA points champion. Ask Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last night, a game in which the Lakers lost, keyword, 
Don't mean a thing without that ring, right? Well, they lost that game last night, but nevertheless, I digress. You know, everybody's starting the debate up again, and of course, it's going to keep happening. LeBron and MJ. MJ and LeBron, who's the best? I don't know. Let me refresh your memory, and I have these stats ready for you. If you go to stathead.com, you can actually compare face-to-face LeBron James and Michael Jordan and their numbers and who did better, who did worse. I'll tell you what, there are two reasons why LeBron James has this scoring record, and the main one really is the style of the game today. No physicality, no defense. No Players can't even touch one another. Touch somebody, it's a foul. Right away, go to the free throw line. And two, the rise of the three-point shot. Michael Jordan played in the triangle offense. Everything was to the basket, not away from the basket. To it. Converge in and score. LeBron James averages almost five three-point attempts per game. Jordan, only two. So Jordan barely shot threes. All of his points were inside. Average 30 points per game. That's still the record in the NBA. And put up 32,000 in rather limited time because of walking away from the game, walking away again. LeBron's just been a consistent guy all the time. Look, you could reward consistency, and LeBron James is probably going to end up being the second best player in NBA history. Probably already is already. I mean, he holds the record now. But is LeBron James actually better? Like, when you sit down, do you really think, when you watch LeBron play, do you think, wow, this is Michael Jordan level? This is greatness that I'm watching. He is revolutionizing the game of basketball. All of that's kind of a sound no. Steph Curry has revolutionized the game of basketball. He has. Everybody shoots threes now because of him. LeBron has revolutionized the game off the court because of him. All these teams are weaker now. We have super teams, and now only two superstars at a minimum can play on a team or else the team's going to suck. He made everybody beg and plead and beg and say, hey, we need to be on a team together or else we're not going to be good. Go ask Michael Jordan if he ever thought about teaming up with Magic Johnson or Larry Bird, or begging the commissioner to put them together on a team so they could win. There was competition. There was care put into these performances from players. Michael Jordan would have never gotten on his knees and begged Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade to join him on the heat in 2010, like LeBron did. Michael Jordan would have never said, Hey, Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird... I have an idea. Let's put all of us together, come to the Bulls, or we'll go to any team, really, L.A., Boston, Miami. We'll come all together. We'll be in one team, and we'll dominate the NBA for 10 years. Didn't happen. And here's the kicker. LeBron James did that, still didn't win as many championships as you all think he did. And Michael's a perfect 6-0 in the NBA Finals. LeBron's 4-6. and six. So don't give me that whole LeBron James is better now. He has the record. You know, sometimes, and you're talking to somebody who loves numbers and loves statistics. I bashed Scott Rowland two weeks ago for getting in the Hall of Fame with no numbers, but I will say this. Sometimes the numbers aren't everything. Just because LeBron James hung around for 20 years and scored 2,000 points a season or 1,500 every year for 20 years doesn't necessarily mean that he's better than Michael Jordan. It just means that he lasted longer, teamed up with good players, won a couple of finals along the way, found a way to preserve his body in a sport that's now softer than ever. Softer than Downey. That's what it is, the NBA. That's what the NBA is now. And that's the league that LeBron James grew up in and played in and has thrived in and is still thriving in. Michael Jordan, it was physical. Punch in the mouth, physical. Run you over, physical. Hand check, physical. Getting hit on the hand and no foul being called, physical. No three-pointers, physical, meaning that every single shot went to the basket inside. Michael Jordan going up against Patrick Ewing with his giant hands in front of his face, making shots all day long. See what I mean? It's a completely different game. And I could tell you this, and I can guarantee you this. If Michael Jordan played in today's NBA, he would have 40,000 points. He'd have 50,000 points. Michael would be doing 
unbelievable things that we wouldn't even imagine because nobody would be, even be guarding him. He'd be standing there at the three-point line, standing at the you know uh, elbow, free throw line, shooting shots, wondering where the hell the defense is. It wouldn't even be fun to him. He'd probably quit because it wouldn't be challenging enough to him. That's what would happen to Michael Jordan if he played in today's NBA. He would quit because it wouldn't be enough of a challenge. It'd be too easy. So when you ask me, or when we start this debate, because we're going to hear it now forever since my, uh, LeBron James has this record, who's the better players, LeBron or MJ? I point you to everything I just said. Different era, different game, more three-point shots for LeBron, softer defense, sometimes no defense, and LeBron begging other players to be on his team so he could win. Sounds like a schoolyard thing. Hey, please pick me. Please pick me. We'll win. We'll play three on three and you'll pick me at recess on the playground. That's LeBron James. That's what he did to the NBA. Now you can't even exist unless you have two or three big names. Michael Jordan's era had a superstar or two on every single team. And there was no teaming up. There was no negotiating with one another as players and going to owners and saying, this is what we want. No, there was competition. Way different era, way different ground rules. Can we finally end this debate? Is this debate over now? For anybody who wants to come in and say LeBron's better, could we just finally stop it? Statistically, he has the points, and that's what he is going to rely on. So when LeBron James goes to bed at night, he's going to think, well, I am the greatest ever. I have the most points ever. I have all these records. I've played for so many years. Little does he realize that the game itself has changed, and a lot of it has changed business-wise because of him. It's because of his whining and crying that the NBA now requires two or three superstars in one team. And it's actually because of his whining and crying that the game's gotten softer. Begging for foul calls. We're traveling with the basketball just for fun. No defense. I mean, the game has gotten so much worse, and it's hard for me to even watch 10 minutes of a basketball game. No joke. I remember growing up watching competitive basketball, and I didn't even watch Michael Jordan play. And I still remember the game was good. It was still a good product. But the minute, and I tell you, the minute that uh, LeBron James went to Miami, for some reason, everything just collapsed. Because even the Celtics, with their big three, Carnett and Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, for some reason, the NBA was still pretty even. I mean, the Bulls played that big three to nearly elimination in round one of the NBA playoffs in 2008, 2009. It was close. Derrick Rose, kind of a youngster, rookie, they played to game seven. It was competitive. And you thought for a minute, hey, this team is good, but it's not a big three. But when you team up LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh and put them on one team, that was era-changing. It changed the entire trajectory of basketball. And that's why I believe, in my opinion, although everyone's a Hall of Famer in basketball, certainly LeBron James is, obviously for the records and for the recognition, but how about off the court? I mean, he did change the game. He really changed the game. That's something we've never seen before. He made it worse, but nevertheless, he did change it. He did do it. Got to give him credit. But is he the best player of all time because of this record? Hell no. And you'll get statistical nerds, even like myself, who may try to argue that, right? People like me, but I'm against people like me for this one. It doesn't make any sense. The game is different. The era is different. What Michael Jordan did in his time was amazing. Shot less three-point shots on average. Two more less on average. Averaged more points than LeBron did ever throughout his entire career. Missed a couple of seasons due to retirement. And played in an era that was so tough defensively. Today, if Michael Jordan played, he would literally quit the game because it'd be too easy. That's my, that's my stance, in my opinion. He would quit the game because it'd be too easy today. So, no, LeBron is not the GOAT, and I really hope that nobody starts to say that, although I will say, you know it's going to be coming. So, refer them to this video if anybody has any questions.
couple of more comments before we finish up here tonight. I still remember when MJ played with the flu-like symptoms in one MJ burst the Pistons. Standing there asking himself, where the hell's the defense? Haha, ha, Alex. Love it. Yep. Handful of NBA Hall of Fame don't have brains because of one man. Everybody hated LeBron when he was at his peak 2010-2018-ish. MJ and Kobe share the same winning formula. MJ and Kobe are better. If Jordan played his entire second year and 94-95, Jordan would have it plus 8,000 points on top of 29K points with the Bulls. Alex, see, that's what I mean. Jordan would be right there. He just finished his career even and didn't retire the two times, let alone if he played in this year's NBA. And even Kevin Durant might be better than LeBron James. Maybe, maybe like 10 years ago, uh, Leonidas. That was a real debate, and I was on the Kevin Durant side, but KD teamed up with Golden State and kind of let his performance go. He's a good player, LBJ, but not above MJ and Kobe. I could argue, you can make the argument that he's above Kobe. You can make the argument. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but he sure as hell is not above MJ. And I think that's a good place to stop here on Sports Talk Chicago tonight. Chicago emphasized. MJ is way better. Thank you to everybody for tuning in here tonight on the program. We really appreciate it. John Meadows directed and produced everything here tonight. Please give a big shout-out to him in the comment section. We're presented by our good friends and our good sponsors, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland, with imports weekly from northern Indiana. Check them out today in Orland Park and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. Remember, you can follow us all over the place, Twitter at John Z Sports, Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook at John Zagluam. We're live on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube all at Sports Talk Chicago, and after some discussions, we're going to go live for the Super Bowl this weekend. So if you're going to be hanging out with your family, with your friends, trying to watch the game, put us on in the background. You want to hear some play-by-play from me again? We're going to reprise it right here in the studio. Have a great time doing this weekend Super Bowl as well. So join us on Sunday, but until then, so long, everyone.